What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 288. So this is something a bit new today uh, compared to what we usually do when we have guests on the show. We're getting a lot of demands. Uh, the show is growing tremendously. It's, you know, an uphill um you know, climb all the time, you know, things are going really well. What we want to do is we want to start doing more of a daily show where we don't just bring on guests like we always do. We'll keep doing that. But we also want to highlight some of the more important things that are going on in the space in terms of news, education, um, you know, things affecting markets, things affecting the technology, how it's being applied to the world and how it might affect you as well. So we want to start highlighting those things. We want to start sharing them a bit more with you. So we're going to be aiming to doing a daily show every single day, <laughs> hence call it daily show, um, where we bring this information to you. And, you know, we'll try to do this at least a couple times a week. And then eventually we'll get into doing this Monday through Friday with a very regular cadence and a very regular time. But for now, expect to see this at about 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Monday through Friday, and we will update you on social media as to what's going on in which days and what the prime uh, topic is going to be for the show. So um, as you can see to the um, your guys is right, my my left, apparently, uh, we'll have about six topics that we're going to cover that we think are the most relevant going into said day um, with one topic that we're going to highlight the most. So for today, for example, we're going to highlight um, the new UK PM that just came into office and what that means for the UK economically as well as, um, and his name is Rishi Sunak and, you know, what his plans are in terms of crypto as well, because he's been very vocal on creating a crypto hub within the UK as well as a big proponent for CBDCs, which I have never been that much of a fan of, but I think it's a very important aspect that we need to talk about. Um, as many countries around the world are diving into CBDCs as well. And given what's happened lately with Liz Truss in the UK, in the economy, and the sliding of the British pound against the US dollar and the bad economic policy, I think it's important that we cover this in detail. Um, so for those that are in the UK, friends of mine that are in the UK, this is definitely something that's for you. But this also applies to everyone else in the world because you need to understand how this stuff can affect you as well. So what I want to do is I want to play a quick video for you guys to kind of get an idea of who Rishi Sunak is. So bear with me for one second while we listen to this. The UK's presidency, the group of the world's seven most advanced economies, the G7, is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote that could be used alongside physical notes and coins. Unlike most of the digital money people use daily today, it would be issued directly by a central bank, like the Bank of England in the UK. And governments and central banks across the world are working together, looking into what having a digital currency might mean in practice. This includes issues that people care about, such as ensuring users' money would be safe and secure, that it could work with other ways to pay, would be energy efficient and available to everyone. A potential CBDC could offer businesses and consumers new ways to pay in the future. It's all part of the one. Okay, so I think that's probably enough just to kind of give you guys a bit more 
of a background on Rishi before we kind of talk on his stance with crypto and CBDCs, which is, you know, very, very important. Um, this is a guy that's very much in the corporate and financial circle uh, in the world. He's very friendly with the G7. He's part of the World Economic Forum. Um, this is a guy that is part of a very large and massive hedge fund that is highly invested, I think is the primary investor in the Moderna vaccine. Um, this guy, in terms of fiscal policy, is very, very smart, but at the same time is very elitist in a lot of ways. He is, I think, the third PM in like two months in the UK, which is, you know, kind of crazy. I, I know this isn't, you know, a political show or an economic show entirely, but I, you know, I, I think that there's an issue with the UK having that many prime ministers in a short period of time. Something's not working. They need to figure that out. But Rishi comes from a world of finance, comes from the corporate world. I don't know if that's going to bode well or not for the UK. Um, but one of the biggest concerns that I have, in my opinion, um, is his stance on CBDCs and how close of a relationship he has to the Bank of England and how uh, close of a financial relationship he has regardless uh, throughout the UK. Um, Rishi's stance has been to promote a crypto hub without the, throughout the UK to create a community to attract more uh, crypto and blockchain based businesses and startups to the UK, which, you know, I'm on board with, I think is great, but he's been a really huge proponent for CBDCs and given his background, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's someone in his pocket and someone pulling the strings behind his back um, to want those kinds of things to happen. But, you know, regardless of whether or not he's able to successfully push a CBDC um, on the UK economy at some point and through the, the Bank of England, um, it, it doesn't matter too much to me. What matters mostly is the tokenomics model behind that. And most people don't understand this, but CBDCs aren't necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, given how economics is ran in the world today with um, all the, the debt ceiling being constantly raised, all the debt uh, constantly being accumulated with the uncontrolled amount of spending at the government level with uh, interest rates, you know, no one ever being able to get a hold of, you know, interest rates over commodities, food, and things like that, the travel industry, um, consumer spending. It's, it's very concerning them applying the same economic ideas when they aren't tech people and they aren't a part of this space and they don't understand how this technology works to try and create a tokenomics model for a currency, which they have not been able to do successfully with a traditional sovereign currency, if that makes sense. So essentially, if they take the same approach that they take, let's, let's say Liz Trust, for example, they took the, her same policy and applied it to a CBDC, the way that it affected the British pound. Um, what Liz Trust did, and at first wasn't, you know, that bad, but we'll get into what, you know, spiraled out of control for her and for the UK economy, is she wanted to lower taxes across the board in the UK, which, you know, at first glance makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it allows people to have more money in their pockets, so they're able to um, go out to the economy and spend money uh, with local businesses and circulate the British pound. What she didn't do is she didn't cut back on government spending. 
because she didn't cut back on government spending, um, she put the government in much more of a deficit, which hurt the British pound and which caused a massive uh, spike downwards and pretty much led to her really bad disapproval rating and you know her resigning. So imagine if she was a proponent for a CBDC and she put that into office and she used her bad economic policy and applied that to the tokenomics of its CBDC. The thing with the CBDC is if it's um, built on a traditional blockchain like Ethereum, for example, or something that we're very familiar with, there's an immutability aspect in which the tokenomics will not be able to be changed ever again, or it'll be very, very difficult to change those uh, tokenomics. And that's something that concerns me, because if you set bad um, economic policy for CBDC, and that's hard to change or can never be changed, you're pretty much signing a death warrant for your economy and for your country. So what I'm hoping is that people like Rishi Sunak surround themselves with very smart people, tech people within uh, the Web3 space. They understand how blockchain works. They understand how a CBDC should be managed and how it should be put together um, to successfully do this. Um, it's, it's the biggest thing that concerns me. And it's not just the UK. This is just one example. Um, but I think a lot of countries around the world are going to get this wrong, too. And, you know, China's already put theirs out. India's coming out with one. Russia wants to come out with one. I feel like every major um, central bank in the world, I think most banks in the world are considering doing this as well economically. Um, and it's not necessarily the privacy or the traceability or the auto garnishing for your your bank account or your paycheck or auto tax collecting that concerns me against tokenomics because that is something that can crush and destroy an economy and that might be very very difficult to change so i hope rishi is smart enough to surround himself with the right people that they if they do go out and build a cbdc through the bank of england that they do it right and they build it correctly he seems like a very smart guy but problem is again he's very very close to the financial elites and corporate elites of the world. They might be in his pocket and they might want something built that better represents them or benefits them than the people in the UK. So that's something to keep a very, very close eye on. Moving on to some of the other topics I want to cover today include the XRP chief engineer uh, that quit, that left, and that is no longer working with Ripple Labs. Um, I'm going to pull up an article here. Uh, just bear with me and we'll kind of go through it together and what is kind of happening on that front. So as the headline states, Ripple's chief engineer quit. Uh, it was kind of a shocking departure and upend um, that you know could affect XRP's recovery, could affect the Ripple price. I'm not 100% sure on that yet, but let's let's dive into the details. So uh, Nick, I'm not even going to tr try to pronounce his last name, has relinquished his role as the director of engineering at Ripple, the corporate entity behind the XRP ledger. In a recent tweet, he said uh, his decade-long journey at Ripple has been fantastic and exhausting. I got to work on a project that I love towards a goal I believe in, but that journey will be coming to an end in a few weeks. Uh, he clarified that he will not be joining another blockchain project or getting into NFTs and doing so after exiting Ripple. 
he saw uh, a string of developments under the XRP ledger code, including those for NFTs, including uh, fixing bugs and critical updates within the ledger itself. And, you know, this kind of comes on the, the cusp of the SEC Ripple lawsuit that is beginning to, you know, wrap up for the first time in, you know, what seems like forever. And recently Ripple, you know, had some big case wins. Um, notably one being the Hinman documents where they were talking about um, cryptocurrencies related to Ripple, like Ethereum, for example, and how the SEC would view them um, as securities or not securities and, you know, how that compares to XRP being a remittance tool. And I, I don't think, you know, news like this with the you know, chief engineer quitting is going to be detrimental to XRP in any kind of way. I think people are going to shuffle around. Pieces are going to be moved quite a bit during this period of time. But um, I, I think, again, what's more interesting is the SEC case. And that's something that we'll cover a bit more tomorrow in the next episode, because there's a lot of um, a tug of war going on between the CFTC and SEC in terms of trying to clarify um, a lot of these tokens in the crypto industry and how they're going to be regulated, how they're going to be taxed, how, um, you know, who's going to have jurisdiction over them or some of them. So th there's a lot of battles going on at the government agency level as well. And as this case plays out with the SEC, it's going to be very important for the rest of the space as it's going to help set precedent, as it's going to set a standard, one maybe the SEC doesn't want to have set. Um, and I do think the SEC is going to lose. There's either going to be a massive settlement with Ripple or, you know, the SEC clearly loses in court and then, you know, it sets a standard for the rest of the space to uh, to go about doing. And I don't think Ripple has really done anything wrong. Clearly, they're not selling securities. Um, obviously, I don't work with them. I'm not affiliated with them. But I mean, come on, they're, they're a remittance tool. Everyone knows that. That's what XRP um, is built for. It's, it's to allow people to send money cross-border internationally for very cheap, very quickly. Um, and is used as an intermediary tool. It's not a security. Um, moving on to the CFTC, which is kind of the other side of things. The CFTC has been, I think, just a little over 20% of all their, their cases that they've looked into in the past year have been crypto, which kind of tells you, again, what direction they're probably hoping to go in terms of, you know, taking action on this industry. So we're going to go through this article as well, just to kind of give a bit of background on the CFTC. The United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission strives to become the main regulator for the currency market, as the CFTC states, instead of the Securities and Exchange Commission. It has significantly increased its enforcement in the industry. Specifically, the CFTC's Division of Enforcement has filed 18 actions involving conduct related to cryptocurrencies out of a total of 82 enforcement actions brought in the fiscal year 2022, according to the CFTC press release published on October 20th. They have been getting more aggressive with policy for crypto markets. Um, in other words, like I mentioned before, over 20% of the CFTC's actions during this fiscal year were related to digital assets, and the agency continues to devote significant resources to litigating complex cases 
and achieved several litigation successes. So what this means is, you know, the CFTC, what do they do? The CFTC controls and regulates commodities within the U.S. market. They help set standards for that. They help make sure that uh, best practices are being performed at all times. And that's pretty much their job. Um, they're in a different realm than the SEC, which is focused on securities, which is a different type of financial product, a different thing that you can buy, sell, trade, own. So the CFTC, again, they're, they're making this big push because they want to make their case at the government level for being able to control and regulate crypto. They want it to be within their jurisdiction. And in some ways, I think they will you know, win in that respect. Um, you know, to be completely honest with cryptocurrency, it, it really does vary. There are a lot of cryptocurrencies out there um, that do represent companies that do represent commodities like um, wheat and barley and alcohol. Um, I've had people on the podcast that have created NFTs and tokens that represent wine, that represent whiskey. Um, there's tokens out there that represent stocks. We've had um, people on the podcast that are doing that as well. And those things will probably fall under the limelight of the SEC at some point in terms of how they're going to be regulated. Whereas other things, like Ethereum, for example, um, could very well be considered a commodity. Same thing with Bitcoin, as well as some of these things maybe being considered actual currencies at some point. So this is what's going to have to happen. And there's going to have to be a division where they label certain things in the cryptocurrency space within a certain subcategory. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Solana, Cardano, maybe these things are considered commodities. And then you'll have tokens that are very popular, NFTs that might be considered securities depending on what they represent. Uh, you might have others like Stellar Lumens, like Ripple, that are more focused on micropayments and payment streams and remittance and um, anything that has to do with sending money that will probably be in its own category and may or may not be regulated between the FC, the CFTC and, and SEC. So these are things that will have to be determined also for tax purposes, also for future laws and regulations. So there's a lot coming out with that. Again, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Uh, Twitter potentially will have its own crypto wallet. Uh, so that could be very exciting. Let me see if I can find it here. On one thing I hate about Chrome and Brave is it's very hard to figure out where my tabs are. Uh, so yeah, Twitter is potentially developing its own crypto wallet. Uh, just to dive into this really quickly. The social media giant is working on a wallet prototype that will make it possible to deposit and withdraw currencies. Twitter rolled out a feature that made it possible for users to tip constant creators with Bitcoin last September. That's true. In mid-February, Twitter native uh, cryptocurrency tipping also became available for Ethereum users, as well as being able to make non-fungible tokens uh, their profile pictures. The rumored addition of cryptocurrency walls will potentially turn Twitter into a fully-fledged Web3 platform. And to add to that, this is also coming on the, the grounds of, um, God, what's his name? Elon Musk. Sorry, Elon uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. So this is going to be really interesting because Twitter is one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. One of the biggest in terms of influence, in terms of 
uh, conversation in terms of ideas being shared and drama and uh, pop culture, you name it. So the fact that Twitter has made these consecutive moves from allowing tipping for creators in cryptocurrency to allowing NFTs on the platform for representing profile pictures, maybe content again at some point, um, to allowing an actual crypto wallet within the platform starts to not only transform it into a Web3 application, like the first real social media Web3 application, but it opens up potentially a digital economy almost within the Twitter ecosystem, which could be Again, also very fascinating to watch play out because if you can create your own micro economy within, within the Twitter sphere, you could do a lot of things. You could encourage more business. You could have more virtual experiences. You could open up um, more transactional ways for uh, fans to interact with celebrities, interact with an influencer, a professional athlete, um, ways to sell product. I think it becomes very endless at that point, what you could possibly do. And then, you know, Elon, if he actually does fully take on Twitter in this buyout, who knows how much farther he might take that with um, with Web3 tech and blockchain and, and integrating that into the platform. So I'm very excited to see Twitter going this direction and kind of getting away from the centralized uh, political charged atmosphere that's been there for quite a while now and maybe being a bit more for the people again. And if it becomes the first successful social media platform, so many more will spur from that, um, as well as you'll see more of that adoption in, in across other social platforms like YouTube, like Instagram, like Facebook, like Twitch, like TikTok, um, where that, some of that stuff is already being implemented, but at a much quicker and grander scale. So again, looking forward to seeing how that plays out having decentralized social media will be very, very important, not just for the space, but for the world in terms of having a interface where we can interact with information as well as each other in a Web3 ecosystem, which does not exist yet. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Uh, the Japanese are testing a CBDC of their own right now. Again, let me see if I can pull that up. I got to figure out a way to do this much faster. Um, not just testing a CBDC, but testing it out for credit with plastic cards. The Japan Credit Bureau, a Japanese analog to international payment systems like Visa or MasterCard, announced the start of its central bank digital currency, CBDC. So what does all this mean? What are they doing? The infrastructure project announced by the company and local media will come under the title JCBDC, and aims at adjusting the JCB's existing credit card infrastructure for CBDC payments. Interesting. The France-based provider of facial recognition technology, IDEMA, is that how you said? And Malaysian SoftSpace will collaborate with JCB in the platform's development. The platform will consist of three major directions, a touch payment solution in an insurance and provision of plastic cards for CBDC and a simulation of the working CBDC environment. Um, JCB also plans to adjust the mobile payment tools in QR codes, but in the later stages of testing. Um, the BOJ shared a three-phase trial outline for its CBDC back in October of 2020. So, you know, like most countries in the world, 
uh, working on CBCs. This isn't something that's new. Japan has been working on this for a long time, but it's very interesting the progress they're making with it and how they're integrating it into traditional um, means of payment to make it easy for people like using cards, credit cards, debit cards, things like that, I think will be very key. Again, the CBDCs, you know, this comes all the way back to what we were talking about with the UK at the very beginning of the show. Um, I don't know if this is going to be good. I don't know if this is going to be bad. Again, it really comes down against tokenomics. I don't really care too much. I think it's cool, but I don't care if they use traditional cards like credit cards, plastic cards. I don't care if they use NFC. I don't care if they use the the your phone for like with like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or Google Pay. I don't care if they they use Zelle or PayPal or Venmo or you know whatever they use in Japan that's equivalent to in the US. What matters again is the tokenomics and how they build a CBDC because again, it will either be a financial salvation for people or which I'm leaning more towards a financial detriment to people. And you don't want to have that. You don't want to have financial enslavement. You don't want people stuck in a system they can't get out of. You don't want their value locked in into cripple even international trading markets. They don't really think about this, but if you have total control over an economic system um, and over a currency and you're controlling what people do with their value, you're controlling a free market. And a free market is what builds economies, what builds countries and which um, allows people to generate wealth and grow. So it's, it's one big thing I'm concerned about because this isn't something that's talked about in traditional economics models. Um, and again, I just I guess we'll just have to see play out, unfortunately. But, you know, as these CBDCs gain more popularity, I bet you so will Bitcoin. People will be diversifying into something they know is not controlled by the government. So as CBDC talk ramps up, expect Bitcoin prices to also ramp up, especially since we're at the bottom of this bear market. Like this has got to be over um, going into 2023. There can only be upside, in my opinion opinion for Bitcoin and the rest of this market as we venture into more innovative territory. So again, as CBDCs go up, so will Bitcoin. Um, those are definitely correlated with each other. Um, again, Bitcoin is a hedge, not just against the economic system, the banking system, against inflation, however you want to look at it, but it's also a hedge against centralization, which is what most people forget about. Last topic we're going to talk about uh, which I don't think is as big of a deal as it might get made out to be, is Apple blocking NFTs. So what does that mean exactly? Is, is Apple like anti-NFTs? Are they anti-crypto and blockchain? So Apple updated its app store recently, its policy to restrict apps from using NFTs to incentivize users to purchase items or features uh, the tech giant can't tax. Makes sense. Um, the Apple company charges up to 30% on all purchases made on its app store. 30% and all money spent when using apps. Jesus. Apple updated its policy to prohibit apps from using NFTs that include buttons, external links, or other calls to action that direct customers to purchasing mechanisms other than in-app purchases. Apps can sell and, uh, and sell services related to NFTs, such as minting, listing, and transferring, according to Apple's update. But using NFTs to unlock additional features or functionality is not allowed. 
unfortunately, that's kind of sad. I mean, I would have liked Apple to be a bit more open about this, but when has Apple ever been open to um, foreign software and foreign integration? Um, they're not traditionally a company that is open to those kinds of things. So I think Apple, despite being one of the wealthiest companies in the world, will get very involved in blockchain and Web3 based tech at some point. Um, I think they're already working on that. I think that's something that you're going to start seeing over the next couple of years, different use cases, whether it be like an AR glasses or VR tech, or if they have crypto integrated into the Apple Pay or Apple Wallet or whatever it may be, they're going to do something for sure. And very, very soon. But again, Apple is one of those companies that is very closed in terms of their operating system, wants to control how the money is flowing, how development is happening. And they're going to want to do all this stuff internally. They're not going to want external parties coming in and um, taking profit where Apple is going to lose any of that 30% or more. So I'm not, over, ugh, I'm not overly surprised to see this. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal. I, I think Apple's just trying to control their ecosystem, control the app store and control how this stuff is rolled out because they want to do it themselves. They want to make money. Um, and, you know, in, in a way, it's kind of stupid. I don't think they need to do that when you're one of the richest companies in the world. But, you know, that's that's how they roll. That's the policy they have chosen to set. Anyways, guys, that is the episode today. We are right at 30 minutes. Um, so that's pretty good. We're going to try and keep these at about 30 minutes in the future as well. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow talking about the CFTC versus the SEC and their battle for classification over Ethereum, as well as everything else within the crypto space. It's very fascinating. We don't talk about it enough. I think it's very, very important. We need to have that discussion in order to understand how crypto is going to be taxed, for one, how crypto is going to be regulated in the future, and you know how we go forward from here, allowing development within the US so that our talents can keep fucking leaving and going to other countries, um, and you know threatening innovation not happening in America anymore. So all these things are important. Government agencies need to get themselves uh, in line and figure out what they want to do. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to take a look and we're going to see how that affects things going forward. And then on Friday, just to kind of get ahead of things, we're going to talk about the FBI bribery scandal with the Chinese and what that level of corruption means for crypto as well and how that affects things. We have a whole slate of things I want to talk about like today, but those will be the two main highlight uh, topics for the next two days. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more guests on coming next week. We'll announce those soon as well. Um, enjoy your Wednesday, guys. See you soon. Bye.